Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. What if you knew you had a condition that made cancer more likely? And what if the condition was so acute it also made heart disease more likely and Alzheimer's? And if you can intervene at some point in that, then you can actually delay the onset of these other things. Sue Armstrong is a journalist who has covered health for decades for places including the World Health Organization and the BBC. And the condition that she's talking about delaying is aging. I mean, you know, there's lots of money gone into Alzheimer's and other dementia research, lots of money gone into heart disease and diabetes and cancer. And I don't think policy wonks have actually recognised yet that the single biggest risk factor for all of these things that we do recognise as diseases is in fact the ageing process itself. At this point, you're probably thinking what I was and what Sue Armstrong was thinking too when she first started to visit scientists' labs. Aging's inevitable. Sure, it makes you more likely to get Alzheimer's, but what are you going to do? Stop people from getting older? Well, no. But if something else, let's call it Condition X, led people to get dementia and strokes and all sorts of other things at higher rates, wouldn't we look into figuring out how Condition X worked and trying to manage it a little bit better? What we need to do is try and find out sort of vulnerable points in the ageing process that we can intervene in and perhaps delay the onset of these other things. You know, and unless if we see it is inevitable and natural and nothing we can do about it, then we will just attack the final symptoms as opposed to the root cause. Armstrong is the author of Borrowed Time, the science of how and why we age. And she says it's hard for scientists studying the process of how our bodies change to get much money, at least compared with people who study the illnesses that we get as we age. But the two questions, how does the aging process work, and why do people become more likely to get, let's say, cancer as they get older, those questions may be intimately intertwined. And there are lots of doctors and scientists and scholars around the world trying to figure out whether preventing the ravages of age in the first place might also reduce rates of afflictions, like cancer, that tend to accompany old age. But staving off elements of the aging process, it comes with its own set of challenges. Preventative medicine has always been the Cinderella of medicine. You know, people taking something when they don't feel ill. You know, it never excites the same interest in the public or in the medical profession or in anybody to stop something happening because you don't know if it would have happened otherwise. But on the other hand, nowadays, we know the effects of things like measles, we know the effects of things like smallpox and all of these things and tuberculosis. Vaccination has become, you know, a very regular and very well accepted part of preventative medicine. And nobody says, oh, well, there's no point in taking this stuff. We know what the effects are. And so we are very ready to take those preventative things. Of course, some people do question vaccines, but it's true that the vast majority of people who can use vaccines to stop diseases do. And Armstrong thinks we may be headed in the same direction when it comes to aging. Not that we'll prevent it or stave off death or even live to 150. But she says there are some very important questions now being asked, like why some animals live so much longer than others. You know, now the gerontologists have recognised that when they started looking at the ageing process itself, that where you found genes that seem to confer longevity, long lives on certain species, that these things also seem to keep them healthy. You know, so they realised there was a very, very much a connection between the inexorable process of things getting older and uh, disease. 
And the goal of most of those who work in this field, Armstrong says, is expanding people's health span so they are healthy almost all of their lives. So their last 20 years aren't spent battling illness or deterioration. If you can prevent the process or, or slow the process so that people do live to a ripe old age, maybe into their 90s and maybe even more than that, but that's not the goal. And they can stay independent and healthy up to those sort of years, up until just the last few years. That really is a goal worth pursuing. But I think the sort of image of ageing research as something looking for the elixir of youth to help those people who just can't bear to face the idea of old age and death and so on. I think it's, you know, the two things have got very tied up together and mm -hmm. people haven't really cottoned on to the fact that this is thoroughgoing preventative medicine, which is just thoroughly worthwhile. Nobody would think that that wasn't worthwhile if they knew what it was on about. So I want to get to some of that preventative medicine in a second. But first, let me just ask you something that you know, in some ways seems like a silly question because, um, you know, we're human. Uh, but why do we get old? Why do we age in the first place? That actually is a very good question. And believe it or not, even many years after um, gerontology became a sort of discipline, there's still no absolute consensus about why we age. But I think one of the dominant theories is an evolutionary theory called, with a, it goes by the sort of jargony name, disposable soma theory, which basically just means built-in obsolescence. And th how the theory goes is that it costs a lot in terms of resources and energy and that sort of thing to keep bodies as complex as ours, to build them and maintain them. And nature really isn't interested in us as individuals. It, the primary focus is on survival of the species. So nature has invested just enough in the maintenance of our bodies to ensure that we do get to reproduction and can send our genes on their way. And then, you know, our bodies just sort of run down for lack of good enough maintenance and repair. Mm. That seems to be the most sort of popular theory. You write about this idea um, that, for example, like calcium. Calcium is like a great thing for young people, and it can actually be kind of a bad thing for old people. But, but by the time you get to be old, your body doesn't care anymore. Like it's sort of done its job, and the fact that you may have a little excess calcium around, uh, which can cause you problems as you age, right? Yeah, that's a very nice example and that's another um, sort of nuance of this theory and it's got an even more sort of tongue-twisting name. That's called antagonistic pleiotropy, which just means that something which is very good for you while you're young and healthy and growing can be bad after the reproduction. And that is that, you know, you need good amount of calcium in your blood to build your skeleton and to repair bones and all of that sort of thing when you're a young person and you need to go out and be fit and healthy and bring in the food for the family family and that sort of thing. But after reproduction, excess of calcium in your blood can sort of settle in your arteries and that's what causes hardening of the arteries, which is a classic disease of old age. But the interesting thing is that, you know, evolution, probably it's only... Oh, very, very recently, that human beings actually survived long enough for these things to become problems. And so, you know, natural selection hasn't even really had a chance to see these things and weed them out. Because, you know, up until sort of 60 years ago, the global lifespan was only about 48 years. Wow. And now it's a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so these things have persisted. But as you say, it doesn't really matter. We've passed on our genes at that stage, so it doesn't really matter what happens to our bodies after that. And they begin to run down. Sadly. Hmm. 
You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Sue Armstrong, author of Borrowed Time, The Science of How and Why We Age. So you have looked, you've visited labs all over the world that are really looking at this why we age, how do we how do we stop that to some degree or slow that down or uh, reverse some of the effects? Do you think that there's really interesting stuff going on? You know, people are thinking, okay, so is there is there something we could do? Are we anywhere close to figuring out what you could do, maybe even not to expand your life to 150, but to make sure that, the, you know, let's say the 90 years that you live are 90 healthy years rather than, as you were saying, like, you know, 65 years of health and 25 years of not so much. Um, what have are, are there labs that are getting close to some answers here? I mean, there are there are you know a whole number of different fields, and all the different gerontologists are working and specialising in their own different fields. But one of the important ones is ones that looking at what are called senescent cells, which is our dividing cells that have come to the end of their natural lifespan. And they don't just die and get cleared away. Some of them persist in our bodies. And if they accumulate, which they tend to do so as we get a bit older, they can do some pretty nasty things. They um, leak substances which chew up the collagen, which is the stuff that glues our cells together. And in doing that, they create wrinkles and they create saggy bits and they create spaces in your tissues, which, you know, cells that are cancerous or precancerous cells that want to expand can expand into and so on. So these senescent cells um, can cause quite a lot of problems. But what they've been doing recently, which is very interesting, is a phenomenon called repurposing, which is when they look in the medicine cabinet at what is in there and they say, okay, you're using this for this disease and this disease. Might it have wider application? And they've found a lot of drugs that do that. You know, they're trying quite a lot with um, cancer drugs and diabetes drugs and so on. There are three. There's one called rapamycin and one called resveratrol. Resveratrol is interesting because that's the one that a lot of people had heard about when you heard these myths about, oh, you know, red wine's good for you, chocolate's good for you and so on. Uh Uh-oh, those are myths. (laughs) <laughs> it is a myth, unfortunately. <laughs> Certainly, resveratrol is an ingredient in some of these things. But as people point out, you'd have to take tons of these products. You know, you'd have to drink gallons and gallons of red wine to get even a tiny dose of the stuff. So those are myths. But they do find that there are active ingredients in these things that do seem to be effective. And there's a lot of that sort of thing being tested. But the big a bugbear goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, that the very idea of calling ageing a disease, it sticks in a lot of people's gullets mm-hmm. and it's certainly stuck in mine because I thought it happens to all of us. Don't start medicalising or pathologizing something that's happening to all of us. So I was really resistant to it. But when you realise that unless ageing is seen as a process that you can intervene in and that you can modify... The drug regulatory authorities and the pharmaceutical industry, nobody's going to be really looking at it. They're just going to think that this is just a sort of bit of a vanity project to get rid of wrinkles and that sort of thing. But there's nothing sort of fundamental in it. So there's a big move now for the regulatory authorities to see that ageing is a process that we can intervene in, we can modify it, we can delay some of the diseases of old age that are so draining on health budgets and that sort of thing, and so distressing to people who are suffering them. But it'll need a paradigm shift, people seeing this as 
a phenomenon worth targeting and possible to target. Okay, uh, let's pause here for a minute. I'm talking with Sue Armstrong, author of Borrowed Time, The Science of How and Why We Age. And when we come back, another food-related approach to aging that has attracted quite a bit of attention and research, calorie restriction, plus the role of antioxidants and how a family history of longevity plays into all of this. If you want to hear this whole segment, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts, and we'll have more reading about aging and the work of top scientists who focus on this topic at our website, innovationhub.org. the Journal of Experimental Gerontology, which I have to admit I don't read that frequently, well, it published an article that made big waves. It was about Sardinia, which is an island off the western coast of Italy, and the researchers had found something surprising in Sardinia. There were lots and lots of people living past the age of 100. Men particularly seemed to be doing well compared to men elsewhere. So what was going on? Was this environment? Was it genetics? The scientists didn't know, but as they searched for the towns with the people who had the longest lives, they kept drawing blue circles on their maps, searching for a kind of epicenter of long life. We're here to meet some of Nicoya's most remarkable residents, the humans that seem to defy the limits of age. There's only about one in 4,000 people make it to 100 in America. In this area here, you have about one in about 250. The identification and popularization of these so-called blue zones in places from California to Costa Rica marked another step towards our understanding not just of who lives long, but how they do it. They reckon about a third of your longevity is down to your genes, and the rest is your environment and your lifestyle and that sort of thing. That's Sue Armstrong, a longtime health reporter and author of Borrowed Time, the science of how and why we age. I think they're busy trying to find out just how many genes and which genes have a really big effect on our natural lifespan of individuals. And I think they're up to about 300 genes they've found at the moment. So they don't know the interplay of these genes. They just know that these genes are very important. Armstrong says there's no question. If you come from a family or a community of people who live a long time, that's almost certainly going to have an impact. But, she argues, science shows that your genes aren't your destiny. And she has spent years talking to scientists who study the mechanisms of aging. What they're trying to do is slow them down or change their course, mostly so that people will live healthier lives, less encumbered by disease and deterioration, not so that they're going to live much longer lives, though that could be a side effect. One of the things that scientists have looked at in achieving this goal, and I'm not thrilled to say this, is calorie restriction. Has it worked? Armstrong says, well, so far, things are looking pretty good. It was first discovered early in the last century, in the 20th century, that uh, rats on a very restricted diet lived very much longer, twice as long as the other ones. And so people started to experiment with this and they found that indeed this worked with lots and lots and lots of organisms. 
fact that not only did they live a lot longer, but, you know, they seemed to stay healthy much longer as well. And so this fueled the idea that calorie restriction would work in humans as well. And in fact, there's a sort of body of people who've taken this on and they call themselves cronies, which is calorie restriction, optimum nutrition. You have to have all the right nutrients, but you really cut back on the calories. But very recently, they've had the results of some primates, some macaques, which they tried the calorie restriction on. And of course, these took a very long time for the results to show because they're much longer lived than all these other little creatures they have in the lab. And the results of that showed that these animals stayed healthy very much longer, but it didn't seem to... I mean, you know, the, the diseases they would suffer from were very much slower to develop than in the controls, but they didn't find that it extended their lifespan particularly. Okay. But, I mean, you know, the holy grail for most of us is not living to 120 or 500. I mean, certainly that's not what matters to me, but it matters desperately that from 70 to 90 or whatever, I can go on walking and talking and being with my kids and mm -hmm. all of that sort of thing, and that I don't have to fret about perhaps getting Alzheimer's or fret about heart disease and so on. So I think the message there is that, yes, you know, calorie restriction is quite effective, but, you know, it really does require monumental self-control. Mm. Not many of us are up to it and you wouldn't actually want to live that much longer if you were on that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it would, it's one of those things where the doctor will say, well, I don't know if it'll make you live longer, but you'll certainly feel you're living longer. Right. <laughs> Um, staying with the food thing here, um, anybody who's, you know, been to a supermarket, I would say, in the last 10 years has seen a lot of packaging that um, really highlights how many antioxidants are in a food. Um, I think people think in general antioxidants are a good thing. I'm not sure that they know why they are a good thing. I don't know why. Um, what does oxidation have to do with aging and how good are antioxidants for you? Well, that's a very good question because for a very long time it was just assumed that the reason we aged was wear and tear, that the products of metabolism, you know, where we're burning sugar in our batteries of our cells to produce energy, uh, the byproduct of this is oxygen species. And these things are highly toxic and they are very damaging to cells. And so it just seems natural that if you take antioxidants, you clear these things up and they'll be very good. Um, and for a very long time, it was just assumed that we aged because of the wear and tear of all of these byproducts of metabolism, oxygen radicals, which really are damaging. But the thing is, we do have pretty good systems in our body to mop these things up. But what they found was, once they discovered the sort of genes which were responsible for running the mechanisms which cleared away antioxidants and so on, if they tinkered around with those so that you up upgraded the maintenance and managed to get rid of these things more effectively, or if you downgraded them and bombarded the creatures with oxidants, that, OK, it had an effect on the tissues in making the tissues wear and tear, but it didn't have any effect at all on the lifespan of the animals. And so people sort of sat back a bit and thought, this clearly isn't the be-all and end-all of ageing. Oxygen radicals very clearly are damaging to the cells and they do have a role in ageing but they're not the central mechanism of ageing and so people have looked around at other things and I think certainly in our diets if we eat lots and lots of junk food then I think that is particularly bad for us and this is part of the issue, you know, clearing out the byproducts which aren't particularly good but generally speaking I don't think antioxidants and all the stuff that you get in the supermarket which calls itself an antioxidant. I don't think they are very effective. 
what are some of the most interesting things that you came across in studying this whole field of aging that, as you said before, you were initially skeptical of? You're like, I don't know, this might be a little bit of a vanity thing. What was just some of the most compelling stuff or interesting stuff that you came across? The two messages which really came across to me was, one, that ageing is not an inexorable process. Absolutely, for sure, we all will get old, but it's not an immutable process. It is something that we can intervene in. Mm. I think that was an enormous recognition. The other thing which really excited me was this recognition that the single biggest risk factor for all of those things that we do see as diseases of old age, the Alzheimer's, the heart failure, the arthritis, the cancer and all of those things that we recognise as diseases, that the single biggest risk factor for them all is the ageing process. Mm. And so if you can intervene earlier, then you can hit at the roots of the problem rather than just the branches. And I think that those were huge recognitions in me, realisations, and they changed my whole outlook on this so that I was much more ready to see this as a process that you could characterise as pathological in its own right. Well, when you say that getting old is inevitable, which is, of course, true. If you've been alive for 90 years, you're 90. Um, but, uh, but that the way that we age is not necessarily inevitable. Um, does that mean to you that when we look out, I don't know how what you think the time frame is here, but 10, 20, 50 years, that we're going to start doing some intervening in the aging process, which may radically change, obviously not the fact that you are 90, but how you look, how you feel, what you're doing when you're 90. I have absolutely no doubt. I'm just about to have my 70th birthday, so I feel to myself, oh my goodness, I'm probably not uh, going to be around to see a lot of these rejuvenating things. I still feel pretty healthy. But I think of my own children and my grandchildren, and I think it's going to be a very different world. I think that, you know, we still will get older and we'll look older, we'll probably still get grey hair and things like that. But I think they will live much healthier lives, or they'll be able to live much healthier lives. You know, it still does depend to quite an extent on one's life habits, whether you're going to be smoking a lot, whether you're going to be living in very polluted cities, whether you're going to overeat and not take exercise. Mm. Those sort of things will go on having a bad effect. But I think, absolutely undoubtedly, there are going to be a lot of therapies which can be used to clear up senescent cells a little bit and to boost the immune system, which ages quite radically as well. And, all, I mean, already there are things. They found that the statins that people are given for their blood pressure and for their heart and that sort of thing as a sort of preventative thing just serendipitously they found that that is having an effect on the immune system, keeping the immune system a little bit more healthy but not to the extent yet there are no messages yet that people should just go out and start using them but certainly they found some very interesting things in the lab there and also with the most widely used diabetes medicine, metformin also, they found that that seems to keep people healthy longer. And again, this was a serendipitous discovery. Hmm. And so they're doing research on that. And this actually is the first medicine that is being tested literally as a treatment for the ageing process, an intervention in the ageing process itself. Um, this is the first one, and that's been approved for testing. So I think it's going to be a very, very different landscape. But as I say, the thing that I always like to 
underline is that this is not about keeping us going to 120, though it might, that might be the side thing. It really is the issue of keeping us on our feet and independent and able to contribute till a lot later, till much closer to our last days. Sue Armstrong is the author of Borrowed Time, the science of how and why we age. She's a science writer and broadcaster. Sue, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. On our website, we're going to have a link to more research on ways to slow the aging process. That's at innovationhub.org. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, associate producer Asiel Kibbe, and engineer Doug Sugertz. We also had production help from Nadia Lewis and Emily Griffinius. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. PRI, Public Radio International.